Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. There was this um, sentence at the beginning of one of the songs that we were singing. Uh, I am, let's see if I can do it correctly. I am who I am because I am, the I am tells me who I am. Okay, I don't know for you guys, but that for me was a real tongue twister. So good job, Michelle and everybody else. That was hard. Uh, But I love it. I I really liked it because as a kind of tongue twister, it forces you to really think about it really slowly. And what does it really, really mean? Um, Yeah, we were singing this before. If anything is listening to this online, just to give you a bit of context, that was part of the songs. Um, And I think it connects very well to what we're going to talk about. So uh, that's why I wanted to mention it. So when I think about it, so uh, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. The question that comes to my mind is, okay, what do he say? What does he say then of who I am? Who am I? And so, in this series we're in, the missional life, uh, Justin started saying that everything starts with God. Then Matthew explained the message and the gospel that we're sharing. Christelle came in and said how this translates into a God-given identity that we have as ambassadors for Him. And these good news, for those of us who understood them or listened to them, they're so good that it spills out into everything we do every single day. And so Lynn spent a bit of time just sharing how we can share this message in our everyday conversations. Still, it comes with certain responsibilities. When we receive the call, answer the call, we have certain responsibilities. And so Justin, last week, he reminded us that we're supposed to act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly before our God. So who am I? Going back to that particular question, me specifically, uh, Matthew, he said, my name is Kalle, Carl, actually, but here in Sweden, uh, for those of you who know, Kalle is very normal. Everybody calls me Kalle. My parents have my whole life just called me Kalle. I'm from further up north in Sweden. Uh, I grew up in Jönköping. Uh, my dad is from Skövde, but I'm also half Colombian. My mom is from Bogota, Colombia. Lived there for a while, and with my wife, Nati and Noah, we moved here to Malmö for work. And I know I'm not the only one. I know a lot of other people here moved to Malmö for work. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So work uh, and how it connects to the missional life um, and this question of who I am. I can also share that we're involved in the youth ministry with Ebi, and to give you a bit of a taste of what we do there, uh, so it's not a black box, we are starting to use a format called the um, Two Whys for Every What, and I'm going to use that format today just to give you a bit of a taste of what we're doing, because it goes beyond the shallow and cuts deep into how we see the world, our worldviews, and if we can change that into more biblical worldview. And so, I'm going to start with a what, then I'm going to tell you why it is true, and finish with why it matters. So you already have the full format for today, you know exactly where I'll be at any given point. And so as promised, the statement that we want you to go with, uh, go with today, this is, if you don't remember anything else, this is the statement, this is the what. Work is central to God's mission in the world. It is sacred and an opportunity to worship serve, and operate 
uh, out of our unique calling. And the main message for today is in Colossians 3, 23 to 25. So we can read that as well. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I'll read that part again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs, and there's no favoritism. And so let's keep the verse up there for just a moment, and let's unpack it a bit. And when I'm looking at this, and it says, work at it, work at it with all your heart, what is it, what is it we're supposed to work at with all our heart? Is it just serving in church? I mean, that includes serving in church, but is it also the work, job you do for a salary? Whatever you do, yeah? But is it also maybe the when we go out and help the widows and the fatherless and the immigrants, like Justin uh, shared last week? Is it also when we're simply at home with our families? Or maybe like this morning, waking up at 4 a.m., the only day of the year where you're supposed to get one hour extra of free sleep, but your son's biological clock hasn't received the update. <laughs> so all of that, whatever you do, anything of any kind, all of those we're supposed to do for God. Of course, it doesn't mean that we can do anything because it says that we're accountable as well. But for that, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong. So we're accountable for what we're doing as well. And there's, there's also this idea of an inheritance. You will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. All of these ideas hopefully make sense, but how do we put them into practice? And I'll start with the concept of the inheritance. So when we look at this, and it's we're working with all our hearts because we're going to, for the Lord, because we're going to receive an inheritance from Him, it's obviously that because He's the owner of the world, all of the gold, all of the silver, we're going to receive a huge inheritance, a lot of money. So after we're all done, we can just retire, never work again, just enjoy all of the money we've received, right? No, right? So when we talked about this on Friday in youth, most were like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. That, uh, yeah, doesn't sound right. Okay, so what else can we receive as an inheritance? What, here on earth, what do we receive as an inheritance? Any thoughts? Property. Property, yeah? Time. Time, time is an inheritance, yeah? Anything else? I think, when we think about the idea of property or a place, a, a place, a, a land where we can be in. This idea was actually very familiar to the Jews. Paul is saying, since you know that you will receive an inheritance, you already know what we're talking about. And so for the Jews, starting with Abraham and the Israelites, and then over and over again, God promised them the promised land as an inheritance. This is something they would already know. Paul then says in the New Testament something similar about who does and doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. And James, in his letter, he says that God has already chosen the heirs of the kingdom. And so to understand this and how it is connected to work, we're going to go to the first why. Why is it true that work is central to God's mission in the world? And when I say the beginning, I mean the, the beginning. So we're going to go to Genesis. 
Genesis 1, if you can share the first, why is it true? And then jump over to Genesis 1, 1, 4. It's really nice because Genesis tells us a bit how the whole story started. And it clarifies a bit about our purpose here on earth. Genesis 1.1. I probably a lot of you have already heard this. I'm going to stress particular words when I read this. In the beginning, God created, created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. This can also be translated as wild and waste. And it has this nice sound to it that's very similar to how it works in the Hebrew. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's this theme in the Bible that the Jews are also familiar with, with chaotic waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. I'll pause here and say, when I read this, it reminds me a bit when playing with a band or uh, doing music in general, and it starts sounding good. There's a moment where it, ah, it doesn't sound really good, right? But then there's a moment when we start to get connected and it really sounds good and you get excited and you pause and you're like, hey, it sounds good, right? And hopefully you guys have had similar moments when you're doing something and you're suddenly feeling like, oh, I feel proud of, of what I'm doing. It could be anything, any uh, art that you might be creating. It might be part of your work. It could also be just an Ikea furniture that you're putting together and you're looking at the manual and you're like, yeah, it kind of looks similar. I'm proud of this. I'm, yeah. And so this is what I imagine a bit God doing. And so he goes on to create the world. And I'm going to skip most of those verses because we know those. I'm going to skip ahead a chapter to Genesis 2, 2 to 3. Uh, four there, but uh, I'm going to skip the, the four. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Have you ever noticed how many times work is repeated in these verses? Just work, work, work. And so God, the great I am himself, he is revealed as a worker, like a craftsman or a potter, taking the world that is formless in the beginning and giving it shape and stopping and saying, oh, this looks good, and continues to work on it until he's created it. And so what about us? Let's go to the next verse there, verse five. It says, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. So no plants yet, no gardens. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. So here explains why there's no plants yet. He says, one, God had not sent rain on the earth, and two, there was no one to work the ground. And in the next two verses, he gives the solution to this. First, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And two, then the Lord, Lord God, again, as a craftsman, forms the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord had, God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. 
So God delayed the garden until there was someone there to work it. And Genesis 2.15, I don't have it there, it just adds a few details. So Genesis 2.15 adds the detail that we're supposed to work and protect the garden. And Genesis 1.28 also says that human is supposed to multiply, rule over the animals, and subdue the earth. So it seems like the garden is a project that God is working on. He's the creator, but before he finishes, he backs off. And he says, I want you guys to participate with me in this creation as co-laborers. And so our first mission, you could say, is to take the abilities that we have, the power that we have, and use it responsibly as God's ambassadors on the earth. And as he's his ambassadors, we're supposed to act as he would. So if you look at what God has done, he doesn't need the earth. He doesn't need the world. He creates it and he does it in a beautiful way that is good for us to live in. And so we're supposed to do the same thing. We, do, we take our power, we take our abilities, and we transform the way in a good that is good for others. We, when humans multiply, we start creating villages, and we create cities and countries. And while we do that, we create infrastructure for everything to work, and we create culture and art and everything for the benefit of others and for the earth. So why is it true? Why is it true? I'll just finish that first. Why is it true that work is central to God's mission in the world? Well, I'm seeing here that it's because God himself is a worker and he has created us to work the land before the fall, before the rebellion, before all of the bad. So work itself can't be bad. We are created in the image of God and he himself is a worker. So work is not a curse. It is so much more than an eight to five. And it definitely doesn't seem like retirement is the goal. But plot twist, humans rebel. We do what we're not supposed to do. And through that, evil comes into the world and death comes into the world and violence and brutality and all of the stuff that we know so well. Even work gets corrupted. It says that, we, that there'll be thorns coming up from the ground and we have to work really hard for what we do. So work becomes frustrating. It becomes fruitless at times. Sometimes it also feels pointless. And so there, why does it matter? Why does it matter all of this that we're doing? And so, and how does this connect back to the missional life? God's move, let's say, after our rebellion is that he calls a man, Abraham, and the Israelites as a chosen people to bless all the nations and to use them to restore the relationship that we had with God, as well as the original calling that we had. And with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it's not only the Jews, we are also invited to participate in this inheritance that we talked about before, of the promised land, the kingdom of God, and as the chosen land, as a royal priesthood, we're supposed to take, take what we know and declare the good news that we have of what he has done for us. This is the mission of life. And so let's look at 1 Peter 2.9 as proof for this. I'm not making stuff up. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this, into his wonderful light. This is what we were singing about before. He called us out of darkness into his wonder, wonderful light. And this is what we do as God's royal priesthood, his holy nations. We're not declaring the, world, the, the word of what he has done. I get excited just by reading these kind of things because God is so, so good. And I still think we can pick it up a notch, okay? So the Bible is so special that it doesn't only tell us about the beginning of how our story started, it also tells us about the end. So let's go to Revelation. This is a vision that John was having of the end times, of the throne room. And there's the scroll, and nobody wants to open the scroll. There's nobody there worthy enough to open the scroll. And Jesus comes in, the Lamb of God. And they start saying, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I read this, and I look out here, and this is basically this room, right? People from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Now, I compare this to 1 Peter 2.9, and in 1 Peter 2.9, we're still in the middle of the story, and we're declaring what Jesus did. At this point, the mission to restore our relationship with God, it's being completed. And how does our role shift? We're preparing to reign on the earth. Does this connect with the idea that we have that we just disappear to some cloud in the sky necessarily and never do anything again? This seems to connect back to Genesis 1.28. We're back in the role of ambassadors. I remembered when we were talking about this with, with my wife, we even had a conversation with my father-in-law, and he said at one point, when I die, I really, really hope that God doesn't put me on a cloud plucking on a harp for the rest of eternity, because I would go crazy, is what he said. And so from the very beginning, God has been working through history to bring us back to him to restore the relationship. And with that, the original calling that we have. And so here we are still in the middle of the story. Now we've seen that how it started. We know how it's going to end. But part of the good news is that we don't have to wait until the end to see this become reality. So why does it matter? It matters because... During or while we're doing this mission of blessing the nations and declaring the good news, we are also supposed to be, as God's people, a paradigm example of how it looks like to be a restored humanity, working the earth for the glory of God and bringing the kingdom of God to earth. 
We're supposed to help people outside see how it's supposed to be, how it was supposed to be in the beginning and how it's going to be in the end. So if we understand that work is something that we were created to do, it's not something that we just have to do because of sin, we were created to do it then we can stop thinking about it as something that we need to avoid. I don't want to work. I need, I'm just looking for retirement. I'm just looking to not do anything at all. And we can see it as something that we can use to transform the world. This is maybe not the good news that you were expecting today, that we're going to work for all eternity, probably. And so David Hedgeman, the author of Plowing in Hope Toward a Biblical Theology of theology of culture puts it in this way. Our job is not only to build up the church, but also to build up a society to the glory of God. The work we do changes the world, as I just said, and creates a culture that is more aligned to the kingdom of God. And this is actually the difference between cultures where you would stone a widow and kill them versus a culture where we know that God has told us we're supposed to protect the widows and the fatherless and the immigrants. That is part of our responsibility. It's a good thing to do. Unfortunately, this is something that we have lost in many places. Christian Smith, a professor of sociology at the University of Notre Dame, studying cultures, he wrote, American evangelicals, he was writing specifically for America, so not picking on, on the US. <laughs> but he was the one who said, American evangelicals, evangelicals in the last hundred years have found it easy to condemn culture, critique culture, copy culture, and consume culture. But it has been much harder for them to actively and imaginatively create culture. And I'm not sure it's very different here. That's why I'm saying I'm not picking on the US. I don't think it's much different here. So I'll finish with a practical example. Talking about a testimony because of the power of testimony. There's this man. He's a follower of Jesus. He studied in the University of Gothenburg studied economy. And then he spent 17 years working in the stock market in Stockholm. Because he recognized, he knew that money is not bad as long as it's not your idol. He spent 17 years of his life trading stocks, making money for other people, for himself. Then he got married, he moved to another country, and he started his own company. And a bit like Joseph and Daniel in the Bible, God made him and his wife fruitful and blessed them in every project that they have been doing. Still, he was very aware, very aware of who he is serving. So he developed the habit very early of waking up early and spending time with the word of God enjoying his presence before anything else. And this forms your character. So he ended up doing things like taking his children when they were very, very small, starting there. And when going to church, giving them money and saying, this goes to the tithe. All of it goes to the tithe. You don't keep 
any of it for yourselves. That's to teach them that everything we have belongs to God. That to teach them to be generous. And he led by example. Every, every Sunday having his own little envelope that he would put in the tile. There would be moments when people would come in and put the bag of money on the table and say, hey, we have this large project. We want to do it with you. Take the money in cash. We skip the taxes. But if you've read the Bible, you know that Jesus says, give to God what belongs to God and to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So what is your reaction? His reaction was, take your money and leave. I'm not doing that kind of business. It's been decades and today, this company, together with other sponsors, supports over 5,000 children in education and health in Colombia. And I guess you maybe notice right now that these are too many details to be just any man. I'm talking about my dad. Andesh. He's the most generous and honest person I know. He taught me the proper place of work, money, and also rest because he always prioritized family time. And not a single time do I remember him asking for any recognition for what he's done. And he's over, he's well into his 60s and he's still going strong. He's still going hard and I don't think anybody can stop him. This is an example of a man that used his abilities and his power and his knowledge to bless the people around him, to use it for the benefits of those around him, creating jobs and prosperity in the land where God put him. He's been faithful, even when it doesn't go well for him, continues to serve. And as his son, I've seen this firsthand, as far as I can remember. And I've looked at him, and I have concluded that if this is how it looks like to follow Jesus, I don't want anything else. This is what I want for my life. So this is my challenge to you. First of all, three parts. Discuss what we've talked about today. Just don't leave it at, oh, he talked about it. It was nice. Discuss in your homes, in your families, also in your connect groups. There's this really interesting uh, word in Hebrew called avodah, which means both wor means worship, vocation, and service. It's a really nice thing when all these three work in balance. Second, look for chaos, almost like the chaotic waters in Genesis. Look for chaos and potential in your work, in your everyday life. And look how you can use it to transform it and create something that can be a benefit for others. So I started a new job three weeks ago. And Francis told me that his team uses the product that we develop. That helps me know that whatever I do, if I do it well, it helps Francis do his job well. If I do my job in the wrong way, 
I'm ruining it, ruining it, ruining it for Francis. So I have a specific face. I know who I'm working for, how I can help others. It's not for myself. And third, don't look down at your work. And I'm not just saying your job, your, the one you have for your salary, everything you do. The world, just like God told Samuel when he was looking for a king, looks at the outside. The world looks at titles and salary. How much money do you make? That's not how it's supposed to be with us. Every single work can be done for the glory of God. And so the conclusion here is, who am I and who are we? I have argued today that, the, that work is central for God's mission in the world because we have been created in the image of a God who himself is a worker and he created us with something to do. And everything we do, we can do to glorify him. And by doing so, we can use our creativity and abilities to transform the world to benefit of others, to be an example of how the kingdom of God is supposed to look like and bring the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of God here to earth, closer to us all. And that was basically what I wanted to share today. So I'm going to pray for just a moment and I'll leave you back with worship. Thank you, God, because this is truly who we're part, who we're supposed to be, God. You created us and work is not a curse. We can do it to transform lives, to do things that we can't even imagine. I ask you right now just for wisdom. Not to repeat what I've just talked about, but God, it's in your power to make it applicable in our lives. It's hard sometimes to know exactly how we're supposed to do work, but God, give us this new perspective of we are doing it for you. Lead us in how you want us to do things and help us transform this world in Jesus' name for the glory of Jesus. Thank you, God, for who you are, God, because you reveal yourself to us. Give us strength when we're tired and help us see the fruits when we think things are fruitless. In Jesus' name, amen.